Welcome to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie Ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. Hello, loves. Welcome to another episode of Vinyasa in Verse. How are you on this beautiful day? I hope wherever you are, you can take a moment to just be still, to be present in the body, to really feel your body and know that there's beauty in that, in the deep breath that we can take right now, right here. So good. So nourishing. Okay. So today we will turn to Hafez to guide us through our episode. And the poem that I'm going to land on today is called With That Moon Language. With That Moon Language. Admit something. Everyone you see, you say to them, love me. Of course, you do not do this out loud. Otherwise, someone would call the cops. Still, though, think about this great pull in us to connect. Why not become the one who lives with a full moon in each eye that is always saying, with that sweet moon language, what every other eye in this world is dying to hear? This is one of my favorites. Let me read that again. With that moon language. Admit something. Everyone you see, you say to them, love me. Of course, you do not do this out loud. Otherwise, someone would call the cops. Still, though, think about this, this great pull in us to connect. Why not become the one who lives with a moon, a full moon in each eye that is always saying with that sweet moon language, what every other eye in this world is dying to hear. And so what every other eye in the world is dying to hear is I love you. You know, we all want to be loved. We all want someone to see us for who we are and to say, I love you and to truly feel that love from someone else. Of course, self-love, right, is key. Self-love is important for us to be able to receive the love that others might have for us. So it always starts within. Anytime we want to make change in the world, anytime we want to have receive more of, we need to work on within first. So in Hafez's poem, he's talking about how we all yearn to connect with other people, how we all want to feel loved and cared for. But how can we do that if we don't have that for ourselves, if we don't take care of ourselves, if we don't have feel feel that love for ourselves? And so this poem is directing our attention to what can we do within in order to experience that without on the outside? It's so like, well, first of all, I love the moon, right? And so to think about moon language gets me excited. I'm like, oh, the moon, I love the moon. Um, it's not a full moon right now. It was last week and and it was a beautiful one. I don't know if any of you pay attention to the energies of the moon, but last, last Thursday was uh, a full moon and that energy felt very loving, very nurturing and supportive. And now we're in the phase of the waning energy of the moon. And so with that, there's a call for us to go within, to really get quiet and start to sort of ruminate on the things that have happened with the full moon, the things that came to fruition, and then preparing the earth, the soil of our souls for setting new intentions and planting new seeds for the new moon, which is going to happen about a week and a half from now. So we're sort of at that midway point between the full moon and the next new moon, which is a really great opportunity for us to reflect and go within uh, to take inventory and see, okay, what 
do I need to do to grow, to evolve, to better myself so that I can then affect change in the world? And that's a really good question uh, for me to ask right now, because I'm thinking about uh, racial trauma. And this is something that I've talked about on the show before. Um, and it's one of the, the core themes of the work that I do. I am one who wants to offer healing for folks, uh, healing from trauma, both known and unknown. And recently I've been focusing on what racial trauma looks like. And it sounds very abstract, right? It sounds very general. It's like, what is racial trauma exactly? What does it look like? Who's affected by it? How does it present itself in the world? And so I wanted to just take some time to uh, elaborate on this concept of racial trauma, because I myself have been trying to articulate for others, you know, what does racial trauma look like in the world, in, in us as people amongst each other? And, you know, does it look like walking um, across the street if somebody of color is coming your way and you feel nervous? You know, that is this racist response that a lot of us have been conditioned to enact, right? You know, there's the, the idea that a Black man is dangerous. And so if he is coming your way, that perhaps you should cross the street out of your own safety, when in reality, there's probably no danger at all. It's just a person walking on the street. Um, so that's that's one way in which um, racism shows up, right? But can we also look at that as a form of racial trauma? Now, racial trauma shows up differently in different people, depending on what race you are, uh, depending on what community you identify with. And so I want to look specifically at communities of color because we are the ones who are subjected to the racism, to white supremacy. And yes, white folks do experience the trauma of racism, not as the recipient of racism, but as one who's been conditioned by it where they're not even aware of the un unconscious biases. Um, but that is for another discussion. So today I just wanted to take the time to look at what racial trauma is and what it, what, how it shows up in communities of color. Um, you know, for me, it looks like people pleasing for sure. You know, um, when we are perceiving threat, when we feel that we are under um, some kind of threat, some kind of danger, we've got the sympathetic nervous system, right? And the sympathetic nervous system activates us into freeze, flight. Um, why can't, why am I blanking? Freeze, flight, fawn, and fight. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Ooh, it's been a day, my friends. It's been a day. The energies, it, out there in the uh, of the planets are really messing with my cohesion today. <laughs> but yeah, so the the sympathetic nervous system is fight, fight, flight, fight, freeze, and fawn. Right. So our where a lot of us are familiar with that, where if we are in danger, 
maybe our response is to fight whatever is coming at us. Or we flee, we like, let's flee the scene, you know, get to safety, run away. Um, freeze, stay still. If we're still, then no one will know that we're there. If we freeze, the danger will pretend, will not see us. You know, we're not gonna bring attention to us. And fawn is a kind of freeze. A fawn is a people-pleasing mode. It is, let me take care of you, the person who might inflict danger on me. So if I take care of you, then you won't harm me. That's, that's the logic. That's what the people pleaser is. It is a nervous system response to danger and a way in which we can, or we think we can create some sense of safety. So thinking about people pleasing as racial trauma, what does it look like? So let's say you are at a job and um, you are a person of color in a largely white office and the boss who is white asks you to do X, Y, and Z. And you say, okay, yeah, I'm going to do that because one, I want to show that I can, I'm fully capable of the job. Uh, because as a person of color, I have to prove myself two times over to show that I am worthy of this job, that I can perform it well, um, and I can earn my keep. So that's one. The other is, if I do this job excellently, to the best of my ability, above and beyond, then uh, they won't think to fire me just because I'm a person of color which happens, you know? Um, so that's what people pleasing looks like. I'm trying to think of an example from my own life where this, this form of racial trauma shows up, um, but nothing is coming to mind other than the workplace. Uh, I, I will say that I did work a, a, a few jobs. Um, I'm largely a, an academic and a yogi. And a lot of my work experience is in the classroom, in an academic environment, as well as um, a yoga studio. But I've had a few jobs where I worked in an office, in a cubicle, at a desk. And what I noticed were these small nuances of racism, where there would be people I was reporting to who would give me all the work and my coworker only got maybe a third of the work, you know? And I don't know if those folks, most of whom were white, were aware of the fact of what they were doing, of giving me more work versus my coworker who was at the same level, um, or if that was intentional, you know? But the fact of the matter is I, remember working in, in various office settings and feeling like I had to prove myself that I had to do more than what was required of me just so I could gain approval, just so I could feel relatively quote unquote safe in my job. Um, and at the time, you know, cause I was in my early twenties, you know, what, what did I know then at the time I just did it because I thought that was, that was the thing that was also the, the overambitious excel at everything Asian complex at play <laughs> as well. <laughs> 
So, um, so yeah, so it, that, that people pleasing carried over into my whole life, you know, where I ended up putting people before my own well-being. um, you know, people like my kids, like, um, you know, family and coworkers and, you know, just basically everybody else. Like I always came last and it wasn't until someone had pointed out this to me or when I, you know, got sick with, um, chronic fatigue syndrome, um, or just sick in general, you know, you get the flu or you get knocked down by some really bad cold. I was like, oh, okay. My body is telling me to stop. My body is saying, all right, if you're not going to take care of yourself, I'm going to make sure that we take care of ourselves by shutting down. Boom. And then I'm in bed and I'm like, oh my God, why is this happening? You know, (laughs) it's because I was working too hard, but that is how racial trauma shows up. It's this going, 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 right? Constant performing, constant overachieving, proving to everyone that we are self-reliant, that we don't need help, that we can take care of ourselves and earn the money that we deserve and, um, and all these things, right? And what's interesting as I get older and as I learn more about who I am and who I'm being in the world and what's possible, beyond just getting a job and and earning an income there's so many other possibilities for wealth for example beyond just working a job um, as i as i do you know learn more and expand my knowledge and explore what i'm finding is that we don't have to work as hard as we think we do that we can sustain a living, living our best lives in ways that feel good, that feel supportive, that don't burn us out, that actually energize us. And um, I'm still, you know, shaping that life, but I know that that's possible because I've seen it happen firsthand. I've seen things like manifestations happen for me personally, but also for others that I know. Um, So that's part of the racial healing. It's like, there's this story that we received early on. And when I say we, I don't mean just us people currently living on this planet. I mean, we're going back generations, all like ancestors, you know, We receive this messaging that we're not good enough, that our skin color has deemed us less than. And so with that mindset, our way of being was always so small. And our vision for what's possible was always so limited. You know, and I'm not saying that this is, you know, a a statement that we can that can be used across the board. Right. There are exceptions, of course. Um, You know, there are big exceptions like who knew that as a slave, you could be liberated, that you could be free. Of course, you know, there are the nuances of are are black folks really free? 
You know, I mean, there are different manifestations of slavery in today's society, in today's world. Um, but the Black community, for the most part, from what I see as the as an outsider looking in, is there are a lot of folks in that community who refuse to accept that this is it. There are folks in the Black community who can vision bigger, who can imagine larger and beyond what we're given and what we see. And that is part of healing from racial trauma. That is just amazing stuff. Um, whether or not those folks realize that they are doing the work of healing from racial trauma is, is an entirely different thing, but the fact that they are taking action and moving mountains and inciting social change, you know, that says to me that anything is possible. You know, the possibilities are absolutely limited, limitless, in, infinite. And so I'm inviting folks, inviting listeners, my friends out there, to consider what racial trauma looks like for you. Is it the people pleaser? Is it, you know, the behavior of bending over backwards and accommodating everybody? And I'm not just talking about, you know, the white people in your world. I'm talking about even family, even, you know, the people who are close to you. Do you put yourself first or do you put others first? And some people might be like, well, you know, I'm not selfish. I'm not a selfish person. I would never put myself first. Like that's selfish. Actually, it's not, you know, and if I said, I've said this so many times on the show that um, we got to turn to the analogy of the oxygen mask on the plane. If you don't take care of yourself first, how can you be in any shape to help other people? right? And we'll just take the simple example of mom and children. If mom is exhausted and she's fallen asleep while she's making dinner, that one, that dinner's not going to taste good. (laughs) Dinner's not going to taste, dinner's going to taste sleepy. Two, I mean, there's a risk that, that an accident can happen. Like she, maybe she's chopping onions, right? And she falls asleep. She's so tired. And then she cuts herself, you know, and then She's like got a bum hand and can't help her kid climb up, you know, to wash their hands or whatever. Um, So it's really important for us to care for ourselves first so that we can be in tip top shape, like optimal shape, optimal health to help those around us, um, those who need it, those who are looking for it. But I'm also thinking about certain fears that hold us back, right? So it's not just people pleasing, right? That's one symptom of racial trauma. Another symptom is fear. Now everybody has fears, right? We all, we all have fears, um, but folks of color have different kinds of fears that have been ingrained in us at the cellular level over generations. Uh, And so thinking about these fears, so what are the fears? You know, is it fear of success? We'll take that one as an example, okay? Because there's all kinds of fears, there's so many. Fear of success. 
Now, what is fear of success exactly? Like who doesn't want to be successful? Well, consciously, we all want to be successful, but subconsciously, now remember the subconscious mind runs 95% of the show, right? And our conscious minds don't always get access to what the subconscious actually knows. So <laughs> bear with me on this, okay? So yeah, consciously, we all want to be successful. Subconsciously, maybe not. Because what does success look like? What does it mean? Maybe it means that you're more visible and you don't want to be visible because as a person of color, you're bringing attention to yourself. White folks are going to be like, who the hell is that? Who does she think she is? You know, getting hers, trying to make money, whatever. Like, nah, that's not, that's not how folks of color are. They stay down. They, you know, there's no such thing as a wealthy person of color, except for Oprah and Beyonce and Serena Williams. <laughs> Right, right. There's no, 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 no. <laughs> there are no wealthy women of color. Um, I cracked myself up. But yeah, so failure, I mean, sorry, fear of success, more so than fear of failure. So failure is easy. You know, everyone's like, oh, I'm so afraid of failing. Actually, you're not. You're not. I mean, because failure happens all the time. Every time we try something, we fail. It's, it's a matter of us assigning meaning to certain results. So we might try something, you know, let's say we try sushi for the first time, right? We eat it, we don't like it, failure, right? We eat it, we like it, success. Again, depends on your definition of success and failure. But I feel that the fear of success outweighs the fear of failure. I think the fear fear of failure is just a cop-out. Fear of failure is just, I don't want to try that thing because I'm afraid of what that might mean. Because what that might mean, if I succeed, means something entirely different, means that I am more capable than I believe to be. Are you following all this? I hope so. Okay. Okay. So Fear of success, racial trauma there, right? Because when we succeed, we upend to a certain degree the structures of white supremacy because white supremacy is built on keeping communities of color small, right? So when we succeed and we become wealthy, we become famous, you know, white supremacy is like, whoa, wait, no, what? That's not supposed to happen, right? That's not, no, that's not, a, that's not in the playbook. So as people of color, we get nervous because we are testing the waters. We're, we're shaking the, the cage of systemic racism. So that racial trauma keeps us small and says, no, you know what? Let's play it safe. Let's just have baby successes. Let's just, mm, let's start a new business, but we're only going to keep it as a side hustle. So let's say, let's just say I'm a teacher, right? I mean, I'm a, <laughs> I am a teacher to a certain extent, but let's say I'm like an elementary school teacher. Like I'm, I'm a second grade teacher and maybe I want to make a little extra money, right? Because teachers don't make the pay that they deserve. <laughs> that's how messed up our system is, but that's another matter. So I'm a second grade teacher and I want to create a business, a side hustle. I want it. I just want it. It's just for fun. You know, already that mindset 
is keeping you small. It's just for fun, just for fun. And you can, you can not listen, nothing wrong with just keeping it for fun, right? But this thing, this little fun thing is your passion. You actually light up every time you do it. Let's say it's needlepoint, all right? Needlepoint is so cool. Like I did it when I was a kid. Um, I did a couple projects and I just love it. There's something so soothing about the, the stitching in this taut fabric and then watching the thread cross over to make this design and the patience it requires, the precision, but also just, it feels so calming, right? So this person, this will pretend I'm the character of the second grade teacher, loves needlepoint, like lights up her world. She gets giddy just thinking about it. I get giddy, I'll, I'll role play, all right? I get giddy thinking about it. And um, what I'm gonna do is gonna start, start a side hustle where I sell needlepoint um, pieces in nice frames so people can hang them up in their homes, you know, and it'll, it'll be custom made, whatever they want. It could be home sweet home. It'd be something like go get yours. It could be like a quote from the Bible, whatever it is, right? But you just are excited to create these crafts and to share that with other people, right? Because this is what you love. So you do that thing. You create the little side business and you do, you're like, uh, you email a few friends. You're like, hey, just doing this thing. You know, don't you think it'd be cute if you had a few needlepoint pieces in your home? And they're like, oh my God, yes, I would totally love it. Could you do it on a pillow? You know, so it ends up being this thing where people start asking you for, you know, your, your stuff. And then it starts to grow, right? And you get excited. And then more customers are coming in and you're getting excited. And then it gets to a point where you're like, oh, uh, this is getting really big, right? You're, you're starting to get nervous because you have it. You have a lot more customers than you ever thought possible. And everybody's excited about what you're offering. And, um, and then you freak out. You're like, whoa, this is too much for me. I can't. School's going to start. This was supposed to be just a summer project. And then you start talking yourself out of it right? But you know, deep down inside, this is your calling. This is what you're meant to do. This is your thing, right? Like you love the teaching. Yeah, cool. Like the little kids are cute and everything, but this is something that you would get up early for on a Monday morning. You would jump out of bed and do this thing like for Monday through Friday, 40 hours a week and not get tired. I mean, this thing lights you up, right? But then all the customers are coming and you're like, do I want this? Does this, ah, this is, mm, ah, you know, all the feelings. And then the, the fear of success of success kicks in. And then you start to turn away customers. You're like, no, I mean, there is, there is such a thing as too many customers without support. So the option is hire somebody to help you manage the customers, you know, hire an assistant who can take the orders and, work customer service while you create the crafts. Yeah, you can do that. But that fear might come in and say, oh, this is too big. This is only supposed to be a side hustle, only like something I did on my weekends or, you know, after school or whatever it is. And I don't know, this is, this is scary. I don't want to, I don't want to get it too big. I don't want to do this, you know? So you then start to turn away customers and you say, oh, you know, I'm so grateful that you, you know, showed interest in my work. 
I really appreciate you, but I'm not taking any more customers right now. And then you start to say that to everybody. And then pretty soon you, your customers start to fade out. You know, you had this big swell, this big wave of interest. And everyone's like, yes. And they're so excited because when someone is lit up doing what they do, everybody responds to that. And everybody is attracted to that. It's like moths to a flame. They're like, yes, we want to be part of that magic too. Right. But then when you freak out and it becomes overwhelming, you're like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to step back a little bit. And, um, and then the self-sabotage comes in right? The fear of success triggers self-sabotage and self-sabotage then just says, you know what? We're done. That was a temporary thing. We're done. We're just going to put that away and maybe never look at it again. Well, let's just go back to the safe thing. Let's go back to teaching second graders, even though I've been doing it for 20 years and I'm kind of tired of it. Kids are cute. Well, it's, a, it's comfortable. It's familiar. I'm just going to keep doing that you know, and, and then that's what happens. Then this imaginary person uh, reaches retirement age and they have, or she has, I'll, I'll just say me, uh, I'm the character. I keep switching out of my character. Um, and then I get to retirement age and I retire, but, um, but then I have arthritis, right? And the idea of doing needlepoint during my retirement does not sound fun, you know, because my, my knuckles and joints in my hands are hurting so much. And so I don't get to do the thing that lights me up. And to think that I had waited because I had this, this side hustle that was possibly going to explode into a full-on business, but I was afraid of success. And turn that away and said to myself, I'll do it later. I'll do it later when I get to retirement. Now that I'm retired, my arthritis is like unbelievable. But now I have to do something else, if anything, you know, and that fear of success just has taken over my life. And so what then, you know, what do you do now? I mean, the positive optimist in me would say, all right, well, then we find another thing, you know, we find the other thing that lights us up because there are plenty of things that we can do that light us up. It's a matter of experimenting, of testing out like, okay, do I want to try knitting? Do I want to try crochet? Do I want to try like building a bike from scratch? That would be really cool. But since my arthritis is like acting up, maybe I shouldn't do the, the hands-on crafty things. Maybe I should dance. Maybe I'll take ballroom dancing. Maybe I'll practice so much so that I eventually become a teacher, you know, because I love to teach. Maybe I don't like teaching second grade anymore, but teaching dancing sounds awesome. So see, there's, there's this stuff that happens, right? But it's not, there's not any awareness around what's happening at the subconscious level because of racial trauma and these messages that we receive as people of color where, you know, it's, it, they're not even, they're not even overt a lot, you know, sometimes they are, but the, a lot of times they're not, it's this, it's this little whisper of you're not good enough. 
or you don't deserve that, or, you know, who do you think you are? You're not staying in your place. You know, it's these phrases that come into play in our minds, possibly at the conscious level, but usually at the subconscious level, because these are messages that we've received from our media, from society, because, you know, here in the United States, that's what this country was built on, on keeping folks of color small and holding them back from their fullest potential. And so the subconscious just sends out these little whispers, you know, success would be really cool, but you need to do it according to the rules of systemic racism. You needed to do, to do it and achieve it according to the rules of white supremacy, you know. Um, there's a, a woman who wrote this book, amazing book. I highly recommend it to anyone who is looking to break out of uh, money mindsets around wealth for marginalized peoples. It's called We Should All Be Millionaires by Rachel Rogers. It's very popular right now. So some of you may already have heard about it. An amazing book, amazing book. But she talks about um, wealth and how we are not, as, as folks of color, we're not given that narrative. We don't know that that's possible for us. And so because we don't know that, and we only know what we know, we stay small and we stay locked into that system of racism and oppression without even knowing it. So that, that is what racial trauma looks like. It's the way in which we move through this world, the way in which we are being that feels safe and feels small, despite the larger voices in our head, you know, well, not the larger one. So there's this, trying to remember, it might be um, A Course in Miracles that talks about that tiny voice inside. The teeny, teeny, tiny voice inside is God speaking to you. It's your intuition. It's your divine knowing, right? And it's teeny and tiny because our external world has put so much on top of that all these lies, all these limiting beliefs, all these stories that don't resonate, that aren't true. And so that teeny tiny voice, in order for it to be heard, we need to get quiet. And then it will say to you, you are possible. You can do anything. You are worthy and you deserve all the things. And so when we can get our subconscious on board with that, then anything is possible. But with racial trauma, that tiny voice gets even smaller. So it's a matter now for us to think about healing that. We create awareness around the trauma, right? We have to create awareness. That's where everything starts. You know, I mean, these days you hear it everywhere, like mindfulness, let's be mindful of this, let's be mindful of that. It's, it's bottom line is it, we're creating awareness. We're creating awareness around our thoughts, around how we speak, around how we move in the world, how we interact with people, awareness, 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 right? But then you get to that point where you're like, all right, got some awareness. Now, what do I do? <laughs> got some awareness and 
And then what you do is you look at the root of your limiting beliefs. You look at the root of what your fear is doing to hold you back, where that fear comes from. And then you can start to undo that stuff. You can unlearn some stuff. You can uproot the stories that have been passed on through our generations um, over so many years that have been ingrained into you know, our DNA. We can, we can change that. There's nothing permanent in this physical body. Um, which is which is interesting that I just said that because I was reading Pema Chodron's um, Welcoming the Unwelcome the other night. And one of the teachings in there is talking about the life and death cycle. You know, it's this reminder that nothing is permanent. Everything is changing. Everything is changing. And so our cells, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, every seven years, you have a new body at the cellular level. You know, the cells are dying and being reborn frequently, that every cell in your body in this moment will not be the same cell seven years from now. You're going to have a whole new body. That's actually kind of cool. It's like, yeah, all right, I got a reset. <laughs> but not entirely a reset because I know there are those who have chronic injuries and they are still hanging out in your leg. I thought this woman said I get a new body every seven years. That's that, that means as far as chronic injuries go, your body is giving you a message about something that needs to be healed, something at the energetic level, the emotional level, the spiritual level. And so to take a look at that, our bodies are always telling us messages. So anyway, I think I lost track of what I was saying, um, but we're talking about healing racial trauma and thinking about creating awareness, right? And that's where I left off, creating awareness and looking at how we can heal those wounds. We see the thing, we see the wound, we see how it got there. The next step is to figure out, all right, how do I heal this? How do I close that wound? How do I put some salve on it? How do I love it? How do I incorporate it as part of who I am now? Because you are in this place, in this moment in time, in this present moment, because of all the events that led up to this moment, good and bad, right? <clears throat> and here's a reminder. Things that happen in our lives are neutral. It's information. They're just things. They're events. It's us, our consciousness, our human brains, whatever you want to classify it as, our, human, our humanness. We are the ones that assign meaning to it. So, for example, we'll say there's a car accident. You get into a car accident and the immediate meaning assigned to it is oh my God, I can't believe this happened to me. How, you know, like it's traumatic. It's a negative thing. You know, if you're the one causing the accident, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. This is a nightmare. This is like the worst thing ever. You know, that's one response. The other response could be like, whoa, 
what just happened? Okay, car accident. Holy moly. All right. So is everyone okay? Yes? Okay. Wow. That car accident just reminded me that I need to be present in this moment instead of my brain wandering off somewhere else. See how there's two different responses to the event, right? The event is neutral. What we assign it in meaning is what creates the nuance. Um, anyway, okay. So healing racial trauma, that is something that we will talk about next time. <laughs> I wanted to just give an overview of what racial trauma looks like and can be like. Um, and then next week, we'll talk a little bit about how to investigate possibilities for healing it. Um, once you create awareness, what then? What do you do? You know, put it under a microscope, maybe. You'll have to find out next week. All right. So to close our episode, I've got The World I Leave You. Once again, this anthology is amazing. I just keep bringing it back over and over again. And I'm just going to do the same thing I did with the gift and Russian roulette. <laughs> roulette the, the poems. Oh, I just landed in the middle of one. Okay. This one's by one of my favorite poets, Ocean Wong. This poem is called Prayer for the Newly Damned. Dearest Father, forgive me for I have seen behind the wooden fence, a field lit with summer, a man pressing a shank to another man's throat, steel turning to light on sweat slick neck. Forgive me for not twisting this tongue into the shape of your name, for thinking this must be how every prayer begins. The word please, cleaving the wind into fragments, into what a boy hears in his need to know how pain blesses the body back to its center. The hour suddenly stilled. The man, his lips pressed to the black boot. Am I wrong to love those eyes, to see something so clear and blue, beg to remain clear and blue? Did my cheek twitch when the wet shadow bloomed from his crotch and trickled into ochre dirt? How quickly the blade becomes you. But let me begin again. There's a boy kneeling in a house with every door kicked open to summer. There's a question corroding his tongue, a knife touching your finger lodged inside the throat. Dearest father, what becomes of the boy no longer a boy? Please, what becomes of the shepherd when the sheep are cannibals? Ooh. Man. That's that. That was not, yeah. Ooh, that was not an uplifting poem at all, but it was deep and powerful. Um, and that's okay because we don't always have to end on a happy note, but it's definitely something to ruminate upon, to consider. Mm. All right, my friends, I hope you have a beautiful week and we will close the episode as we always do. The divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. 
Until next time, namaste. Healing is so necessary for women writers of color. Whether we know it or not, our traumas hold us back from expressing and becoming our truest selves. How can we be more present to this? How can we create new ways of understanding our hurts so that we can heal them and step into our life's purpose with radiance? Follow me on Instagram for messages of healing and support as you walk this journey that brings you home to yourself. Find me at this handle, at Surya Gyan Yogi, S-U-R-Y-A-G-I-A-N-Y-O-G-I. Or visit my website to learn more at suryagyan.com. Your best healed life starts now.